0: Are you pregnant or a new parent looking to ensure a better postpartum experience? Or are you a birth worker looking to improve your postpartum care skills? Check out Thriving After Birth, an online self paced course by me, midwife and educator Tanya Tringali. It's 10 and a half hours of video content featuring experts in lactation, mental health, pelvic floor health, pediatric sleep issues. You also get worksheets and a workbook as well as options to have a one-on-one session with me. Sign up at motherwitmaternity.com/thriving and let's improve postpartum care together. Episode number six of the Mother Wit podcast. My guest today is Jennifer Hunter Marshall. She is co owner alongside her husband Dennis of CrossFit Garden City, which is on Long Island just outside of New York City. They opened in 2010. She is a CrossFit level four coach. There are not that many people that can say that. Jen also teaches all the CrossFit certifications all over the country. She's also an actor. If you haven't figured it out yet, she's a super talented person. I met Jen when she was pregnant with her second child at a workshop called The Female Athlete, which by the way, is a great course for trainers, coaches, physical therapists, pelvic floor physical therapists, and even other healthcare providers if they have enough interest and or background in either fitness or pelvic floor health. I'll put a link to this in my show notes in case you're interested. So I wanted to bring Jen on today to talk about two things, although we're only gonna to get to the first one and I'll have to bring her back on a separate episode to talk about the other topic. The first thing I wanted to do with her is have her tell her stories of having preeclampsia in both of her pregnancies. This is a really important story for people to hear. The other thing I want to talk to her about is how her coaching has evolved after taking this female athlete course, the course that we met while taking. You know, this course is really special to me and plays a big role in the work that I'm doing. And I'm really looking forward to chatting with someone who I respect so much as an athlete and hearing what her experience has been. Um, And for those of you who have worked with me around fitness or are considering doing so, it will definitely give you insight into what makes the way that we approach these things perhaps different from what you see kind of in the mainstream. Okay, since we're going to be talking about preeclampsia today, I want to give you guys some information about preeclampsia so that it's not hard to take in as Jen tells her story. Okay, so preeclampsia is high blood pressure. Generally speaking, we use the numbers 140 over 90, and it's high blood pressure that occurs after 20 weeks gestation. The symptoms that can accompany, but not always accompany preeclampsia include headache, visual changes, heartburn or nausea and vomiting, chest pain, difficulty breathing, and swelling in the face or hands. Now, Jen is going to mention swelling in her legs. And I just want to point out that sometimes when people are getting really swollen and postpartum, legs can be swollen, but isolated leg swelling is not a symptom of preeclampsia. It used to be, but it got removed from the criteria because it is simply too nonspecific of a symptom. But taken in conjunction with all sorts of other things, we do sometimes see leg swelling. It affects about 2 to 8% of pregnant and postpartum people. Um, It's important to note that birth is not the cure, right? It can be part of the cure when somebody develops it during pregnancy, but this is a pet peeve of mine because it makes us forget about postpartum preeclampsia. Also important is to note that Black women get preeclampsia at higher rates than white women. So just for your reference, black women tend to get preeclampsia about 3.2 percent of pregnancies, Hispanic women 2.9 percent, and white people 1.8 percent. Final note here, socioeconomic status has little effect on these rates, which highlights the role of structural racism, okay? Lastly, I do want to point out that 7% of maternal deaths are attributed to hypertensive disorders of pregnancy. This is a big deal, and this is part of why I do what I do. We can prevent maternal mortality, especially maternal mortality that occurs in the postpartum period. A gentle reminder that nothing we discuss on this show should ever be considered medical advice. Please speak to your local provider about anything that comes up in this show that resonates with you and your needs and your health care. Jen, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: You're welcome. Happy to be here. (laughs) Thank
0: you. So, okay. um, We met while you were pregnant we were at the female athlete course and you and I connected to kind of like talk on the side offline because you had some goals during your second pregnancy that were based on what happened with your first. Can you just share your story of your first pregnancy into the second and all of that for some background for people?
1: Yeah. So my first pregnancy, um, well, first off we had struggled with infertility. So like Five to seven years of like making the rounds and um, five failed IVF treatments. And then um, we finally um, got pregnant with my first, and everything was like fine once we got through all of that. Mm-hmm. And then I had some issues with my blood pressure. And then at 34 weeks, and even before that, because our premise is I'm over 40 when I was pregnant, so I was already labeled. You know, advanced maternal age or geriatric pregnancy. So there was already like stuff going on behind the scenes.
0: Love that terminology, right?
1: <laughs> oh, great. Uh huh. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I trusted my doctor. She was, I had a um, a female OBGYN who I loved. And uh, being a woman of color, she was also a woman of color. So there was a lot of, I felt like I was in the circle of trust. Not that I, I couldn't have done well with anybody else, but she did say, before I even got to the 34 weeks that because of my age, they were gonna induce me early. Mm -hmm. This was my first pregnancy. And I didn't think anything of it. I just was clueless about that because I spent all of my time trying to get pregnant. I didn't put any focus on like what was gonna happen at the end. And I do CrossFit and I'm fit and, you know, just I'll get pregnant and everything will work itself out. I'm gonna have a a natural birth, whatever I thought that was at the time, had no clue, knew nothing. I just... (laughs) I trusted that it was going to be all right. So I had a scare with my blood pressure at one point before 34 weeks, and then it went up again. And it was, um, I was like 33 in a couple of days and they had me in the hospital and they released me and they said, we're going to try to get to 36 weeks. It was like a goal. Um, did they
0: put you on medication at that point?
1: Had not put me on medication only when I was in the hospital. So Uh I was in the hospital, they had me, um, Hooked up monitoring and got my blood pressure down, and then said, If your blood pressure goes up, you come back in. And so I was home. They released me and I was home for, I think, a day and a half. And my blood pressure went back up and they said, Come in. And then I didn't go back home again. Um,
0: Just for frame of reference, do you remember how high your blood pressure was? Like, what are we talking about here?
1: It, it was like I was in the 140, 145 ish range at that time. And, it, and nobody had mentioned preeclampsia at that point. Like I thought gestational diabetes is going to be my issue because I've always struggled with my, my A1C, not that I was high, but I was like, have a family history and doctors have been looking at it. So I never thought because I worked, you know, and now I know that So that's not related to my normal blood pressure. But you had an
0: IVF pregnancy. Yes. You were over 40. Mm-hmm. You were a black woman. And Mm -hmm. at that point, no one had said the words preeclampsia to you, like even in an educational way of like, this is something we look out for.
1: Not, not to, I mean, not in a way that I remember it being something I need to be concerned about. Not, it was very like, you know, not until it happened did I realize this was like serious. And um, so I went back in the hospital. This was like a Friday And um, they tried to induce, this was Memorial Day weekend too, of course. So that's crazy, (laughs) this is 2017. So this is my first, so he's four and a half years old now. And uh, they said, we're gonna try to induce you at this point because that's the only way to cure the preeclampsia what they told me. And still I wasn't told that I had preeclampsia. It was just, they had concerns. And I was like, okay. And they're running all these tests. And I just felt like I wasn't part of the process in any way. And I had like a shadow doctor at the time, like one of my clients who was an OBGYN as well, who had privileges at the hospital. I was like talking to her about what was happening. And she was like checking behind the scenes and she's like, well, they're checking your urine for like the protein and all these things. And I was like, okay. And uh, she, she was giving me advice, like tell them uh, or ask them if they'll do a folio the folio balloon thing. And I I was like, okay. And I had to push to even ask for that. My doctor wasn't there at the time. I had like an attending who was oh so happy to be there. And like, it was the most painful thing. Couldn't even get in. And Now
0: we're talking about your induction and the method to be induced. And so you asked for what's called a Foley balloon which is when they insert a little rubber tube and blow up a balloon into the cervix to try to mechanically dilate the cervix. So that's what you preferred as your method of, of induction.
1: Yes. To have an option. Like they give me side attack at mm-hmm. that time. And I was having some contractions, but I never felt them. Mm-hmm. And so this was last resort. They were going to bring in the anesthesiologist to do all of that business. And they, the, the doctor that was there, like, she looked in or it's like evaluating my, my cervix. She's like, I'm being generous in saying like you're not even like one. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and um the part that was so disheartening is he was in position. He was face down, like there was nothing else other than that. And so um the doctor came in and like, this is happening. Then I'm gonna have this, this section. And I was like, oh and scary
0: <laughs> oh, were they wanting to do a c-section because your blood pressure just wasn't was getting worse and other parts of the preeclampsia were getting clinically worse or did they just say we've given you enough time and nothing's happening
1: I honestly Tanya, I try to like go back and rack my brain because my husband it was like a whirlwind I don't remember any of that I just remember like it was time I was there for two days and we're doing like I went on a Friday night he was uh born Sunday morning.
0: Okay, so they were at it for a good forty-eight hours, trying.
1: Trying, and then but still, I didn't understand the um, how dangerous it. Was. I, I, I still didn't get like the push, I guess. And on top of that, we had a member of our gym who um, had mm-hmm. passed away during childbirth, and so during throughout that pregnancy, my second, you have that. It was something different. It wasn't pre. I don't want to like go into too much detail, but I had that close experience to me. And then this was happening. And then I remember telling my husband, like, because I thought that I was not going to survive this, the way it was going down. And so I was like, told, I remember distinctly, I don't know why I remember this out of everything else, telling my husband not to give our son away, wow. it, thinking that something was bad was going to happen to me. And because it was so quick, they come in, they whisk you into the room and it was like bright lights and like, don't move. They're going to stick a needle in your back because it was like emergency, like going into it. And I just was totally divorced from the whole experience. And then he was out. Um, from what I could tell, I, I was so out of it. He was fine. He was whisked away to the NICU because he was 34 weeks. Um, but I, I, I think I remember him crying, but I never got skin to skin, never got to hold him. And um, then my blood pressure was an issue. Like they were working on me. And I was in like the boots where they give you, I forget what it is. They're that they called give.
0: SCD boots. They're like yeah. pumping to keep your blood flowing in a way to help prevent blood clots.
1: Mm-hmm. Catheter, all of that stuff, laid up in the bed. And I'm in one hospital. My child is in the other. It's a more so I deliver. I didn't see him for like a day. Because I couldn't, I'm laid up, and then I had to wait for somebody to wheel me over there <laughs> to go see him. Thankfully, he was a strong 34 weeker, so that was that was good. And I still didn't know that I had preeclampsia. <laughs> I wasn't told that that's what it was. Um, I, but any, but everybody's like, it's fine, you're alive, the baby's healthy, that we're all good. So I was in the hospital for four days and. I had to manage my blood pressure afterwards, and I remember seeing a cardiologist because we knew we wanted to have another child. And so, when he was a year old, um, I got my heart evaluated. Everything was fine, and I got clearance to go again. But this time, I was like, you know what? I want to try to have a a natural or vaginal birth, as natural as possible. Knowing that anytime you have any (laughs) drugs or anything, that's not natural, but it could be a vaginal birth. And um, I took, what did I take? Um, Anthony Lowe's course That's where I met you Mm -hmm. on the um, encouragement and um, insistence of my friend, Melissa Reed, who's a a PT and she's a CrossFit uh, level four trainer as well. And uh, had been through two, three C-sections. So she just, she was postpartum with her third. And she's like, you got to take this course. I'm like, okay. And I think I was like seven months pregnant at that time. And was I seven? I mean, it had been six months. I was big.
0: You were were very pregnant, but I can't quite remember how pregnant.
1: (laughs) I was groveling around there. But uh, (laughs) other stories, because then at that time, I mean, I hadn't done anything to prepare myself. I was just like, I think I want to do this. And I think we spoke because I knew you were a midwife and I was trying to figure out like if that's the route I should go and but I have issues because I'm a prior section and I'm older and the preeclampsia that I had I was concerned if I switched hospitals or doctors you know I just was worried and we talked and I settled on a doula Mm -hmm. so I hired a doula Janeline who's still a, a dear friend who was so helpful and I had a choice. She was not as experienced at that time and she'd never done a VBAC. <laughs> well,
0: one I of thought. the things that I always say about doulas is when, when I have clients who I recommend a doula to, which I basically would recommend that everyone have a doula. But in that conversation, I'm mindful about people's finances. And one of the things I tell people, I may have said this to you too, is listen, it's okay to get a really inexperienced doula yeah. as long as you've got a provider or a team that's willing to teach her things, right? Because mm-hmm. all it takes is someone wanting to be there and support you and a good teacher. And it can go a long way.
1: And that's why I took, cause I had the choice. She was a friend of a friend of one of our members and I had reached out to another from one of the places he recommended, I think. And, it, and she was in like the Bronx or something. So there was that distance, she was far away. And she was more, not that you were worried about price, but in my phone interactions with her, it wasn't as like warm. Mm-hmm. I actually met Jandlin in person and it just felt like I would be taken care of. And her background, even so she was new to it at that time. I mean, she'd had other births, not the VBAC, but she was willing and, and was very available like anytime I needed her. Um, so she was the one, it's like, go to the doctor because when I got pregnant with the second one, she'd already scheduled my C-section. Mm-hmm. Said, we'll go ask her about doing a VBAC. And I asked her and my doctor was like, well, you know, we'll try. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, but no, like, how does that happen? she's she basically said, if your blood pressure stays under control, then we'll see. I'm still gonna induce you though. Okay, And I'm I'm a small woman. I'm five one. And um, my son was born five five, which was big for like a preemie. And so I still didn't have a reason for why we wanted to go early other than the baby will be bigger. And like that, you know, but women I've seen smaller women than me have. Baby's
0: fine. Some <laughs> of it is about um, the advanced maternal age, these words I love so much. There's definitely some data that's decent that um, says that the rate of stillbirth increases if you go too far. Uh, but you know, nothing's like a light switch. And so it's really confusing, and we have to, you know, have an ongoing conversation with our clients. And that is what doesn't happen in our current healthcare system. We're just handed a rule and an order and told this is how it's happening. And we leave people wondering why. And most people kind of just comply, right? And that's how you were with your first pregnancy. With your second, you were much more questioning, I think.
1: Right, I questioned, I asked about things. And I think we talked once and you said, hey, are you planning on having any more kids? And I was like, I think this is it. And you're like, well, if you have another section, that's fine. It's like if you if it has if it happens to go that route, because I was, um, you know, wanted to avoid it just because of recovery and just it's major surgery. And I'm still like feel like I, I struggle with like the last one. But she had scheduled me for a section at 37 weeks. And my doula, Jana, was like, well.
0: So I'm just pausing the conversation here to chime in for a little context about what I said to Jen because I have a funny feeling um, some people listening are going like, why would you say that? (laughs) So I just want to clarify. So sometimes when I'm counseling people and you guys are getting the super short version or helping people decide what path is right for them, one of the things that I think is important to look at so that someone can make sense out of whatever situation ends up being their reality, is asking them how many children they intend to have. Because every C-section we have actually becomes more risky. So if somebody who was planning a VBAC told me that they intended to have a third baby, or especially if they intended to have more than that, that would nudge me a little bit further in the direction of, let's do everything we can to get this vaginal birth. Now, I'm not Jen's provider. I wasn't Jen's provider, and I had little say. So, in the in the context of this conversation, my goal was to provide a little bit of solace for her. Should she have a repeat section? Of course, I didn't know what was going to happen at that time. Anyway, just thought that that little detail might be helpful.
1: Hold on. A second. You're being not that she you said you're being set up for a section but you might not be ready at 37 weeks like you didn't it's my second but i didn't go into labor with my first so the fact that my body had never gone through that process and like you're from what i understand this has been told to me that your first not always takes longer to to get going so this is essentially my first that i was trying to do and then I'm getting a shortened window of like when for this to happen
0: yeah I mean 37 weeks isn't even really really full term except when a baby decides to come at 37 weeks right but when we make a baby come because we induce someone that's still basically preterm which is why typically we use 39 weeks when we're inducing somebody for quote-unquote medical reasons Um, and even then your chances of having gone into labor or not you know, it's kind of hit or miss at 39 weeks, many right. people go into labor in their 39th or 40th week. That's when the majority of babies are born. So mm-hmm. what she was saying, I think is like, mm, there's a little bit of sabotage going on here. Um, yeah. But
1: <laughs> we'll see, she's like, well, maybe you will go early. We'll see what happens. So I did have one scare with my blood pressure, but the second time around with like Janeline, she, she's an aromatherapist as well. So I had my my oils and breathing techniques, and just to keep myself relaxed as much as possible. And I never had to be at stay overnight for the like blood pressure. I went in one time because I was monitoring my blood pressure because it was high, but it came down and then it was fine. Um, something happened, I think, with scheduling, and then somehow they rescheduled my section for 39 weeks.
0: Oh, interesting. <laughs> so it was like
1: 30, it was like 39, it was like in the middle, right before like the 40. And so because my daughter ended up being born 39 and six was there the cat in terms of the calendar. So Janeline like, that's good. Like we have some that's better. (laughs) and I was like okay and you're doing my squats and trying to get everything moving again like my son she was in position she was big though I remember the maternal fetal wellness doctor every time we went in for imaging it's like her stomach is really big I was like is that a bad thing what's going on like no she's just a big baby I was like okay and And how big
0: was she when she was born
1: 814
0: okay (laughs) 814
1: is not little I'm not too big and so uh, what happened? So Janeline came, she met us at the hospital. They put me in the room. They were going to induce me. So I went in for my induction date and um, they wanted to put, per my um, shadow doc and others that I talked to, like get the, the Foley balloon, get that in um, to help. So, because I knew I couldn't get the side attack this time because of the previous section. So I wasn't going to get as much help with that. And I knew the first time how painful it was. They couldn't get it in. And so this time I was like, oh my goodness, I've got to, <laughs> I've got to make this work. And it's not an easy procedure that I wanted to try so badly. Somehow we got in, And <laughs> I was like, thank God.
0: Well, your cervix and- might've been a tiny bit more open this time because you were only a day away from your due date. So your body had time to do some of the preparatory work. Um, and. You were a little bit dilated the first time, so that may have helped, also.
1: Yeah, so I they got in and they they put me on um, what did they give me? The anesthesiologist came in because they just in case I ended up having to go into a section. They want you hooked up so it's easier to. So,
0: are you saying they put in your catheter in your back, but they didn't put any medicine in?
1: They put the medicine. They did. They put in to help with the back pain, like the the pain because I was having because they. They started. I started having contractions that were, that were painful because they broke my, I think they did break my water too at that time. Did they break my the water? I can't remember now if that happened. I remember water came out. There was something happened that didn't happen naturally. So we had that and I was in there for two days, 48 hours or close to 40 hours around that time. Just, you know, moving around. I'm still thinking this is going to happen. My doula is there my husband i still hadn't come up with a name for my daughter my mother had been campaigning for months for the name hope and just because she was doing it i didn't want it and that's but we wanted an h name it was a crazy scene so they like checking on me and i think in the end i only got five centimeters okay. and the doctor was like okay if we're going to we're going to go do the section now. And I was like, Okay, oh. so
0: why did they want to do this one? Had you been five centimeters for a very long time and they said you're not making any more progress or were there other concerns?
1: At that time, it was just, that wasn't making any more progress. They didn't think and the baby was big because all throughout the last pregnancy, because what happened with the first, they were checking my pr- my urine throughout. So I was doing that all of the time. So it didn't seem, and my dual and I talked about it you know, Monday morning um, quarterbacking it after the fact, like we don't remember anything about my blood blood pressure was fine. So the only thing that I can come up with is it's like time. Like I wasn't, I wasn't moving any further. One of my friends who later on in the story, I feel like saved my life. Um, She's a labor and delivery nurse. She was at the hospital with my first. It was still checking in I have all these like this my team of shadow (laughs) people say like pushing for them to do something else like she felt like every avenue might not have been exhausted to make sure that I had the vaginal birth but you know in that moment you're just like well I just want to make sure my baby's okay and still, you know I knew that I had the previous situation so I get wheeled in disappointed just like devastated that I have to have this again and this this c-section the first c-section i don't i was out of it completely this time i swear to goodness tanya that i don't think they gave me enough pain medication because i felt everything Mm -hmm. i just like yelling at them i was like this this this, (laughs) this is not good like and um they're like you need to relax i'm like relax i i i I Not to be too graphic for the listeners, but I felt like I was being ripped apart. And I was like, this should not, I should not be feeling this, like stressed out. And I wonder now, even later, if just feeling that pain jacked my blood pressure up because it was so it well, was pain
0: will absolutely do that but it's a question of where the story goes I think I vaguely remember some details so I suspect <laughs> you know the, the story still <laughs> yeah, it
1: was a good story. so yeah it was so painful and there was like Beyonce playing I was like what is happening it was not my music but I, <laughs> I kept saying fudge 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 I remember saying that and just like mm-hmm to relax and the woman i think she was the anesthesiologist she was off to my left she's like why do you keep saying fudge and i was like because i want i don't want my daughter's first word to be fuck like, this is unbelievable i don't i mean i wrote a one woman piece i'm an actor too about this experience because then i hear the doctor you know on the other side of the curtain saying oh jenny she's so chubby and i was like what and she wasn't even out yet like so i i mean i i was like what is happening and then the tugging and then she's out and then she's still big and then they take her hear her cry i still haven't seen her and then they're like working on me and i just remember like somebody punching you through your vagina up to your throat that's what it felt like when they put everything back in i was like oh my god it was the worst and then um they didn't have a room to put me in. I was in like recovery, like hallway and just, I, I think then I had some spike in my blood pressure, but they didn't say pre, it wasn't preeclampsia or anything out of the ordinary. I had ma- I had major surgery at that time, but they had me in the boots again and had the catheter finally got to my room and they wheeled her in. So I didn't get the skin to skin, didn't get to hold her again, same thing. And now, I, I want, I mean, you can't second guess. That's what I wanted to do. But if I had gone ahead and said, okay, I want to just have the section, I could have maybe organized a better, not organized, but had that skin to skin in that time. Cause it wouldn't have been so scary, I guess, but I don't know, but I had to try.
0: I know you can't help, but think like the, what if part of it but here's the thing, like you shouldn't have to think these thoughts. You weren't having an emergency. Mm -hmm. You you know, if they did a C-section just because you were five centimeters and you'd been that way for a long time and they didn't believe you were going to get any farther, okay, fair, but Mm -hmm. there's still no emergency. And there is a big push in hospitals to do what we call gentle cesareans. And that can Mm -hmm. involve a number of different things, but it, you know, it can mean a clear drape. It can mean taking down the drape so that the birthing person can help take the baby out of their own body. I mean, there's all different ways that these situations unfold, but you shouldn't have to second guess. Oh, if I had just had a scheduled C-section, I could have made this other part better. You deserved Mm -hmm. to try to have this baby vaginally and you deserved this part too.
1: Yeah. So that's the tough part. But two years out, I'm in a better space than I was, but the scary part of the story is what happened later. So uh, She was brought into the room. She was fine, big, beautiful baby. I was like, wow. I, I think my doula did say to me, She's like, Jen, if you had somehow managed to push her out, you would have been ripped up. But <laughs> that's what she said because she was so big. She's like, you're so little.
0: We hope you're enjoying the Mother Wit podcast. If you are, please rate us and leave a review in iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to your podcast. Thanks so much. Now, back to the show.
1: Hope was born, and um, we were in the hospital for four days, and then the uh, trying to nurse and all of that stuff that goes on, like I had with my first. My first was tongue-tied, so Mm -hmm. I I pumped, and he had breast milk, but he couldn't latch. Mm -hmm. And then my first, she was good. But then they uh, push in the hospital to right away. Like they, I was like, I need help. You <laughs> could never get a leg. That's another story. But anyway, we're there for four days to get discharged. And I went through, with my first C-section, I was given um, Oxycontin, just a few pills like, when I left, because you're split open. You guys couldn't even stand up. Now this time I have a two-year-old and a newborn and I had another section and I have to like move around when I get home. It wasn't my doctor. Another doctor was discharging me that day. Four days, comes in, gives me a paper. We're gonna give this for you to take and some extra strength Tylenol. (laughs) And I was like, what? (laughs) I was like, last time I was here, Um, I got like, no, we changed the policy. This is all you get. And I was like, oh man. And I, Anyway, so, so
0: I, I'd have to game out the, the past and the timing, but I'm going to guess you had your second baby in the midst of the media frenzy around the opioid crisis.
1: Yes. <laughs> As I get screwed. I was, like, I was like, I'm not, I just need like, you know, and they don't give you a lot of, it's not something, I, I don't know. I, I I still had an issue with it. It wasn't my doctor either. My doctor was like, fine. Here, I, you know, I still, I had to like, Give throw away the the last two. You get eight pills. Like to use an emergency. (laughs) I was like, I can't even like stand up. Um, So anyway, we get through that. I get home, and I had major surgery, so I wasn't too alarmed. But my feet started to swell. And with both pregnancies, like getting pregnant was a problem for me. Give uh, giving birth also a problem. But pregnancy was like great. Never had any swelling. You know, gained you know, the appropriate amount of weight felt good throughout both of them. But then I had the feet swelling after my second. And I called my doctor and she's like, just put your feet up. I sent her a picture of my feet. They look like, you know, Fred Flintstone or, you know, a hobbit. And (laughs) she was like, that's normal. Let's put your feet up. I was like, okay, no blurry version, no headache, no nothing. I'm checking my blood pressure. I had my discharge paper, if I get, I think it was 140 over 80, call your doctor. So about 10, uh, let's say like 9.30, 10 o'clock, I'm checking my pressure. And I was like creeping up, if not at 140 over like 75. they i like, ooh, okay. Not, it said in the paper, 140 over 80, but I guess I'm okay. And uh, then I took it again and I was like 140 over 85 and I called my doctor and it went to her service or voicemail I hadn't heard back from her I'm sitting there and I took it again and it had gone up more so I think I was like 150 um 90 something like that and then my one of my members who's a labor and delivery nurse that talked about with was somebody who was like a go-between who was on my team unofficial team that I, that I had um she just happened to text me to check on me that night and i told her I was like hey renee this is going on she's like well just sit still for a while take a breath and and take it again and i took it again and it gone up more Right,
0: so now you've seen, you've seen a trend. You've taken it four times and every single time it's higher than the time before. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I hadn't heard back from the doctor yet, but I know, you know it takes time because she's she a busy practice too. And so then my friend Renee was like, this is what I want you to do. You're going to go back to the labor and delivery floor and have them admit you. And I was like, what? You know, I feel fine. I'm like, just, just my blood pressure. I don't want to be... She's like, no, this is what you're going to do. So I think at this time it had gone up even more. It, it was, I can't remember exactly where I ended off before I got there. I just remember when I got there, like the top number. So my husband, now he's got like a new four day old baby and a two year old. And my mother had just gotten into town. and was like passed out in the chair. <laughs> so he takes me to the hospital and drops me off there. And says, you know, I can't leave your mother alone with the, the two, the babies to um, so go in if it's not a big deal because he wasn't even worried at this time it's like you get checked out and you either I'll come back and pick you up or we'll figure out an uber or something like that and I'm like okay I'm freaking out a little bit because also in between this time Serena Williams had had her daughter mm-hmm. and all the stuff that had gone on with her so I've got that in my head I'm like oh my gosh well, I didn't even know what I had was a thing so <laughs> so thought- yeah
0: wait I have to clarify real quick you cuz you you explicitly said something when you were telling the story of your first birth about the doctor saying delivery is the cure and i'm a little neurotic about not using that language because of the existence of postpartum preeclampsia like i understand that when somebody's pregnant delivery is part of the cure but that makes us put on blinders to the idea of postpartum preeclampsia so at this point in your life you know that preeclampsia during pregnancy is a thing but did you know that preeclampsia postpartum existed
1: I did not know, or at least my ignorance, perhaps, like not knowing about it, but I didn't I didn't have that on my radar.
0: You're not allowed to blame yourself for this. This it was okay. somebody somebody's job to share this information with you.
1: <laughs> I'm so thankful for like the people that I had looking out. I have like angels everywhere. So I get I get in there and I go up to the floor. first of all i had to convince them that i needed to be there because they're like are you pregnant i was like no i just left here this morning like i haven't been at home because because it's the labor and delivery floor and i'm not pregnant but that's where i am and so they they finally i was like no my friend renee and thank god that because she was beloved and respected at the hospital they knew her and i I think she may even called ahead to this person's coming because she wasn't at the hospital anymore. And so the nurses, though, like, oh, I you know Renee. They took me back, and they do like the triage, they do the workup, and my blood pressure was up more. I believe as high as was two hundred over hundred, like that. Okay. And they were trying to like push it down. And they and they ended up putting me back in the boots, the magnesium or whatever it was that they gave me when I was in the hospital four yeah, days ago. They put
0: you back on the magnesium sulfate, and they started all the things. They were probably pushing other medications to lower your blood pressure, all kinds of stuff.
1: And so at that point, I said to the nurse because they're back in and out looking at me, and I'm like, well, you know, I feel bad. Like I don't feel bad. Like I wasn't, you know, going to come in. And one nurse said to me. Like honey, if you had waited till you felt something, you had a stroke, and you could be, you could be like gone. And then that's when it hit me. I was like, holy shit! That's when I got free, like scared, and I think that's was the most traumatizing part of the whole experience. Because then I was readmitted, and I was back in the exact same room <laughs> that I'd been in. The nurses came in the next day, and they're like, "You're back," and I was like, "Yeah." Um, the hard thing for me was because I had been discharged and my daughter had been discharged. She couldn't come back in with me unless I had somebody else to stay with her because they don't have the staff to take. Cause she's another patient at that time, at that point. So I was like, okay, so that was difficult. So I'm in there and they're trying to figure out what to do with my blood pressure. So I have postpartum preeclampsia, which I didn't know they can kill you. Because And I can see why. Because you go home and if you don't know to look out for it or you just get into your normal routine, like, oh, I just had a baby. I had a C-section. I'm tired. My feet are swollen because I had major surgery and it's just fine. And if I did not have my friend Renee insisting that I go, you know, where would I be? So that's the story. And then um, was in the hospital for another week to get that it was a whole week huh it was just short of a week I think because then they had to bring in the the cardiologist team and I felt like a guinea pig so all of them and the residents came in staring at me and trying to figure out and I'm like you've not seen this before so, (laughs) so I went through that whole bit and then um uh yeah I got home and then I was just scared of my own shadow, pretty much in terms of like the blood pressure stuff. So I've been monitoring my blood pressure for months and taking medication. Thankfully, I was, uh, sw- uh, not switched over to, but I got a cardiologist. I think he was recommended to me. It was a younger cardiologist and he um, had the foresight to like, give me the ability to wean myself off the medication. So I wasn't on, he's like, okay, we'll check it. If it's up here, then maybe you take this much, if not. So I was like, okay. And my, I see a functional medicine doctor and have for years. And when I talked to him about it, he was like, well, that's great. Because usually this make you stay on the stuff. And so he's like, we want to get you off of that. So eventually I was able to get off the medication and then start to rehab myself. (laughs) I didn't even think about like what to do from the surgery and just getting back, it, making that connection with my body again. Cause I was so just afraid, I guess, is the best word to use from the whole experience. And I still feel like that both of those births, it's been challenged for me to um, uh, build up. Uh, have the type of really, I love my kids, my babies, of course, but I feel like it's been a a challenging bonding for me because of just how their first (laughs) breaths are coming into the world, how it all went down. It just, was a scary and traumatic time. And so I try not to focus on that too much, but I carry that with me and, you know, I wouldn't call it like the baby blues or something like that, but I definitely had something that was going on. I think that I, fitness. I,
0: I, I don't know. I don't want to put words in your mouth, especially the dramatic word I'm going to say, but it sounds like you experienced trauma in both of your births. And it sounds like really valid trauma to me.
1: Mm-hmm. It was, it, it is, Tanya. I, I, that's the only way to describe it. And I think, It's because of the type of person I am that always pushes through and like tries to find the bright side of things is the only reason why I try not to label that way because I don't know my mind is that like falling into victimhood, woe is me. But then I think like, well, if not me, then who? Like I went through this because I was strong enough. Not saying anybody else wouldn't be strong enough, but I was able to. I had a good support team behind me, in front of me, beside me, like the whole time. And just, just thankful to God that I survived it. But clearly <laughs> pregnancy was, that was, my body just didn't tolerate, I, I I don't know. Like it's, um, I think one of the thoughts that I had when we struggled after we got pregnant and the, the years of struggling with infertility, was that a sign, was it just, Maybe I wasn't supposed to because was I tempting fate mm-hmm. because my body didn't want to do that because it knew something that that stress on me was going to do that. But I always felt like oh, I'm strong, I'm capable, I do CrossFit, I can.
0: Well, I, can- I think that is one of the biggest challenges for athletes when it comes to pregnancy, right? Because mm-hmm. you can rationalize a way that getting pregnant doesn't have anything to do with how strong or weak you are. But how you cope through every day of pregnancy and a labor, we tend to attach a ton of meaning to as to whether or not we were good at it. And it's part of our physical body. And so somehow it just feels all related. In the first episode of the show, I talked a little bit about how when I decided I wanted to be a midwife, I kept it a secret until I pulled off, in air quotes, my perfect birth. Because I didn't somehow feel worthy of being a midwife if I couldn't do it myself. That's ridiculous. And Uh, I know that now. mm -hmm. But that's my version and my experience of the ways in which I connected birth to my body to some form of athleticism, right? I mean, it's, and it's Mm -hmm. ridiculous that we do this. And our brains are always seeking to connect experiences.
1: Mm -hmm. I have like something to add to when I wrote it was very cathartic so I'm an artist too I wrote a one woman piece maybe I'll, I'll put it out there one day but just about my second birth like the whole the comedy and the drama and just everything around it and speaking to my teacher who I work with who's an amazing solo artist and we talked about it at length and she brought up I don't know Where it's from. She's very like connected to the earth. Like I call her mother goddess. And she said that sometimes you had your idea of the birth you wanted to have, but think of like a baby having their own idea. Like you're like they are going to be birthed, however they're going to come to the world. Somehow that gave me peace. Like I was trying to control so much of it, but I couldn't. And to let that go and that and I, I don't have the story quite right how she shared it but somehow that gave me a tremendous amount of peace and like she was she chose her way he chose their way in some respects um how they were going to come
0: well it's a version of saying that what doesn't kill us makes us stronger and any other expression that you can come up with in terms of like our, how we as humans manage to find inner strength in some mm-hmm. of the craziest times um, mm-hmm. And we just continue as humans, as a species to overcome and overcome and overcome. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that when we pare down to like someone's individual story, that it's not mm-hmm. deeply painful or traumatic, but the healing that comes out of the whole thing, mm-hmm. I have no doubt that your two stories have, how do I say this? You have, I know it without, you don't know, you've even telling the stories, you have impacted hundreds, if not more people because of your experience, your sharing of your experience, whether it's here or in all the other venues that you share, um, or it's at the gym and the way in which you interact with people and advocate for them. um, I have no doubt that this has ripple effects that are so much bigger than you. And I, I hope that some of your healing comes from what you can give other people.
1: Absolutely, I, I I do think, and I, again, I try not to push or like because my scary my story can sound scary, especially to somebody who's new to it. That I try not to like say in that way. I just try to give people information so they can make decisions about what they want to do, and so it's not telling but helping
0: somehow. Yeah, leading people to resources, I think, is the key. But you know, so much of your story really has impacted the work that I do. And I think you you see that from time to time. Um, mm-hmm. Because when you talk about your shadow team, I really <laughs> love that language you use because you had a shadow doctor, you had a shadow nurse, you had a shadow, your doula was not a shadow. <laughs> she was real. But you had these various people, I, I guess in, in some weird way. Yeah. You had this this team put together to kind of be your head check.
1: Mm-hmm
0: in the face of the medical system and Mm -hmm. what i'm trying to do and why your story is so important to me is i want to take this process out of the shadows it shouldn't Mm -hmm. have been the case that you had to get quote lucky and have quote angels in order to survive your births it Mm -hmm. should be part of the system it should be accessible and so Mm -hmm. you know i walk that fine line every day how much do i tell someone right Mm -hmm. because one day a patient says to me I wish someone had told me X, Y, Z. This is something that I lose sleep over because I can see myself saying too much sometimes Mm -hmm. in an Mm -hmm. effort to avoid somebody later on saying, I wish someone had told me this. But -hmm. at the same time, we have to roll out these bits of education calmly Mm -hmm. over time, well before someone's having symptoms so that they can recognize them when they have them, (laughs) all this stuff
1: yeah, mm-hmm. but it's, it's 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 important to have that. and then people, I know I definitely recommend people have a doula or midwife, like just consider if not a midwife, if they're not ready to go that route like a doula for sure, and see a pelvic floor PT. like that was also tremendously helpful to me. Yeah. And uh, I have like several, I, I consider friends that I saw <laughs> throughout and continue to stay in touch with and have helped me tremendously like get back into fitness, make sure you just like want to know that you're okay. <laughs> and that's.
0: Jen, there's a whole other episode I wanted to do with you and I know you have to teach a class in like five minutes so we're not going to get to do that. But will you come back on and talk to me about your physical recovery from your births and your use of pelvic floor PT and how all of that has impacted the way you coach people through the perinatal period.
1: Absolutely. I would love to come back.
0: (laughs) Because I am so I was I was actually really excited to have you be potentially the first person I talked fitness with um, on this show, but I'm happy to delay it. And maybe you won't be the first anymore, but you are somebody that I really want to talk to about this because. We shared a journey, I think, to a new way of thinking and some new information when it comes to fitness in the perinatal period. And I don't have too many people I can talk to about that. Um, And I really, I respect you as an athlete, as an artist, and I'm so grateful that you came on to tell your story. I hope that your sharing this story in such a public venue, um, gives some people information before they need it and then
1: Mm save their life yeah and again you know don't demonize my my doctor was great i just felt like you know you have so many people you have to see you you know what i mean i think that i i I have a lot of compassion for the doctors and what they have to do and but we can share the load right between the doctors midwives and the doulas and make sure that we take care of the mommies the best way we can
0: You just hit it on the head. That's what it's all about. It's about teamwork and acknowledging where where we end and another professional begins. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
1: Okay, well, I'll be back.
0: (laughs) I can't wait. There's so much more I want to talk to you about. All right, Jen, go teach your class. Thank you so much for your openness. Happy New Year. (laughs) Thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye, Tanya. Bye. It's me, Tanya, your host here at the Motherwit Podcast. You know I sometimes invite my clients on the show to talk about their birth stories and postpartum experiences, but I want to tell you a little bit more about what those clients and I actually do together. I started Motherwit to help people in the perinatal period achieve their health and wellness goals. That means whether you're hoping to conceive and struggling with high blood pressure or high blood sugar, or you're having trouble managing anxiety or depression in the postpartum period... Or maybe you just need support and advocacy between prenatal or postpartum visits. I can help. Get a discount on your first consultation with me at motherwitmaternity.com using the code FIRSTCONSULT10OFF. That's one zero percent symbol, all one word. I'm looking forward to working with you
1: and maybe having you on the show too.